Glenn Show. Tom Haverstrow joins us on some hoops in about 60 minutes. Howard Fendrich will be with us live from Wimbledon, where maybe the greatest players of all time are still all in action. Serena Williams on the women's side, Federer and Nadal and Djokovic all still standing in the semifinals on the men's side. Nice live visit from the All England Club in London. Joining us now, as promised, with the British Open, the fourth and final major golf championship, one week away from competitive play, but also some other things to talk about in that corner of the sports universe. He does great work for the Golf Channel. Todd Lewis, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm good, David. How are you? I'm doing well. I did not know much about something called CBD oil until (laughs) I read about it a little bit earlier today. And uh, what do you know about it, and why are you allowed to use a supplement as a golfer that's a derivative of the hemp plant? I just didn't even know that this was a thing. I'm not against it, for the record, but what's going on? Well, I'm not the most literate person in that uh, topic, (laughs) but I can tell you that um, the PGA Tour, this is in regards to golf you talked about, correct? Yeah, I'm not correct. on sports. <laughs> I don't know anything about anything else about any other sport. Uh, the PGA Tour does model a parallel WADA, which is the World Anti-Doping okay. Agency, and that is allowed. It's the THC that is not allowed by the World Anti-Doping Agency. But it was interesting. I did a, an interview last week uh, while I was covering the 3M Open with a player named Robert Garrigus, he's one on, on tour. Uh, he got actually suspended for a few months for having traces of THC in his body uh, that were over the required limit, mandated again by WADA and the PGA Tour parallels. And he's actually meeting with PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan this year, or this week rather, at the John Deere Classic, wanting to voice his opinion that this should be taken off the list of banned substances on the PGA Tour because he feels like it doesn't help you get the ball in the hole. It's right. more or less for pain. Um, so, you know, and we've heard these echoes uh, in the NFL when it comes to pain. Players feeling like they should be, you know, able to use medical marijuana. And, I mean, look, you got an argument, too. I mean, it's, it's legal and I believe, 11 states in the country. And so, you know, it, I, I, I don't know if anything immediate is going to happen, at least in the golf world, but it is an interesting discussion moving forward. No doubt about it. Todd Lewis joining us from the Golf Channel. Follow him on Twitter, at ToddLewisGC. I saw you recently noted that the 3M Open, for example, was one of the best events mm-hmm. outside the majors on the PGA Tour. We have the John Deere Classic that you mentioned beginning today in Illinois. Uh, but before we get to any of the sort of the, the deep-dive details on the rest of golf, how would you assess on July 11th, 2019, the restructuring of the golf calendar? Is it working for the sport? Is it working for the players? I mean, there's something nice for me as a consumer that I have the Masters in April and then back to back to back. You have one major in May, another in June, and here we have next week the British Open in July. There's something nice and tidy about that, maybe on the slower part of the sports calendar. How is it working for both the athletes but also the game of golf? Well, let's talk about it from a fan perspective. I think you could even broaden out uh, in March you have the players, which is a pre yeah. event. It's the only big event that it doesn't include amateurs and doesn't include club pros. So it's all professionals. It's the best of the best. So you got that at the players in March. You've got the Masters, as you mentioned, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, the Open. And then next month, the FedEx Cup playoffs where guys are fighting for $10 million. So from March to August, 
I think it's structured beautifully. The PGA Tour, along with the governing bodies that run the other major championships, did a great job in putting this structure in place. Now, what will happen is it's going to be a test for the players over the next six to eight weeks. Let's take Tiger Woods, for example. Tiger Woods said he didn't want to play as many events, especially in a condensed period of time, this year as he did last year. However, obviously he's going to play the Open next week. The following week is a brand-new event. It's a WGC event that is headed up by FedEx, which is the major sponsor of the PGA Tour. They sponsor the FedEx Cup playoffs. So the tour is pushing all the big names, including Tiger Woods, to play in Memphis, which he likely will do. He will then probably take the Green Brother off and then have three in a row in the playoffs. So Tiger Woods will play five of six weeks in two different countries. So, you know, this is where it's going to be difficult for players to manage their schedule uh, as they close out the season. You know, our corner of the universe has a place in that beautiful calendar that you just portrayed, where I know the folks at the Wyndham Championship, for those who forget, July 30th to to August 4th, right here at Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro, which is a fantastic venue, they now have sort of a modernized version of the Wyndham Rewards Top 10, where you mentioned the FedEx Cup playoff, which even comes after that. Man, I like the I like the size of some of those numbers. If I can get into that Wyndham top ten, right? Well, for those for your listeners who do not know, the window, winner of the Wyndham Rewards season-ending bonus, uh, basically the guy who was leading the FedEx Cup points race at the end of the regular season, which is at the end of the Wyndham Championship, gets two million dollars. <laughs> Roy McIlroy is on record saying if he's leading right now. Excuse me, he's just in. Gosh, he's not leading. Actually, Matt Kuchar is leading, but he's in the mix. Um, he says, if I have an opportunity to win that, I'm going to play. Brooks Kepler, world number one player last week. I asked him the same thing. He said, yes, if I have a possibility, I'm likely going to be there. So Greensboro, although yeah. you're not going to get Tiger, right. which they've had before, uh, you are probably going to get some huge names that are going to move the needle there. And it's going to be, I, I think, Mark Brazel, he's the tournament director, and all the good people there at Wyndham who helped put this together and the PGA Tour for accepting it, I think it's going to elevate that event even more. Not to mention you got guys still fighting to get into the playoffs. So the Greensboro event, the Wyndham Championship, is going to be awesome. Todd Lewis of the Golf Channel, help me with some perspective on the difficult transition from, let's say, NCAA champion superstar to this, you know, best-in-the-world PGA Tour. Because I know we recently had Matthew Wolf of Oklahoma State I believe it was like like a matter of less than two months, right, where he wins the individual men's title in the NCAA for the Cowboys, and then he gets his first PGA Tour win and his card in like a matter of weeks after that. So I'm just trying to remember. We know about Tiger from Stanford to success. Here, around here, we know about, you know, a Davis Love III from UNC back in the day to his success, but – how how many examples come to mind when you think of what Matthew Wolf is trying to do right now? Well, Jordan Spieth comes to mind. He didn't even finish uh, at Texas, nor did Matthew Wolf for that matter. Uh, Jordan won when he was 19 years of age, which is younger than Matt Wolf. Uh, so he's the most recent example. But it's interesting when players were coming out five, ten years ago, like when Jordan came out. I felt like there were probably three or four kids that feel like they could win on the PGA tour. Now I feel like it's 10 to 12 Mm. and it's amazing to me because 
look, I walk up and down the driving range on the PGA Tour at major championships all the time. And I can tell you, when you walk from one end to the other, all the swings look beautiful. They hit the ball in the middle of the club. But the thing that the greats have that the not-greats have is the most precious commodity in golf, and that is confidence and belief. And these kids, there's about a dozen or so out there now, I believe when they come out of college, they think they can win on the PGA Tour. You combine that with some talent, and, you know, they may not win, but they do believe they can win. And if you've got belief, then you've got 90% of the battle. Looking ahead to the British Open, one of the headliners this week, and it was funny because it benefited a guy who's not a huge name, but Kevin Streelman's a former Duke golfer. And and as John Daly withdraws, Streelman's the guy who gets into the British Open. I mean, he's he's 40 years old. He's never had a top 10 finish at a major, but we're just all happy for him. Uh, The best I understand, John Daly's resume is that his two majors are the PGA Championship and back in 1995, the British Open, when he asked for the waiver to receive a cart from the PGA, he was given it, and he used a cart, and everybody else was walking. Now, I know J.D. missed the cut at the PGA, but the British Open folks declined that same request, which led to John Daly's withdrawal a couple days ago. Is that something as simple as, hey, there's this American with Disabilities Act in the United States and they don't have to follow that in England, or is it a more complicated equation there? Well, I I believe that's part of it. Uh, I'm not going to discount that argument, but I I do think that uh, RNA is the group that runs the Open, um, and they are are the home of golf, essentially. And so I think tradition... And their belief, no matter where you stand on, on which side of this argument, their belief is that walking and the physicality of playing a 72-hole event, which, you know, is sure you're not, you're not a basketball player sprinting up and down or a football player or a soccer player where you feel like you're running a marathon every match, but there is enough physicality in there that it could mess with your mind and mentally kind of make you weak if you're not, if you're not strong. So they feel like that that's part of it, and they've made that decision. Um, I will say that the players that I have talked to, um, and it hasn't been you know a ton, uh, but you know it's been a few dozen. Um, they are they are on the side mostly of the RNA yeah. that that John Daly should be walking if he was to contend at the major championship. Well, that was going to be my next question. My sense of what let's just say the broader American public's golf fans think. And I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but I hear an awful lot about, hey, Casey Martin was born with a condition that led to him asking for this exception to use a golf cart. John Daly is 53 years old, has osteoarthritis, he claims, in his right knee. And, and you know, nobody should cheer that. But I hear a lot of, why should we make an exception for a guy who essentially has abused his body so badly in so many ways for so long that that's the reason he needs an exception. Uh, do you sense that even these great athletes on the PGA Tour have some of those same sentiments? Well, I wouldn't go, if you don't mind, David, I respectfully disagree in the fact of using his body. You know, maybe he's not in the best shape. I agree. You look at him and I get it. But, you know, there are a lot of physically fit players that have all kinds of medical True. on the PGA Tour. Um, but, again, I'll go back to Tiger. When Tiger's back, didn't allow him to compete. Let's say, you know, he he went and got surgery. There are several players out there that are John's age that have had hip replacement or knee replacement surgeries or some kind of 
confusion here and there. They've just taken time away to get it fixed and then came back. So my question is to John, who I like and I admire what he's done in the game, is why not do that, get yourself physically fit, and then come back. Instead, what I feel like you're doing, I know you want to play in the Open, but I still think you'll have talent if you take a year off, get the knee replacement, come back and compete. Um, so that that's my point of view. Um, and I get John's desire and passion to want to play in an open, um, considering he is a past champion. Um, but I feel like he, sh- you know, there's, he should be physically fit, which would allow him to not only play, but maybe even compete. Um, who knows? Uh, because it's a little wide open there and the, you know, the weather is dictates play and so on. And so you've had Greg Norman and Tom Watson nearly win these yeah. championships close to 60. Um, so that's my question to John, because now you're going there physically, it seems like incapable of competing, even if you have a cart. Um, so I, I just don't quite understand that. I still think, you know, a lot of players think he's got tremendous talent still, and still, if he gets his body right, can still do some, at least make some tremors in the golf world. Todd Lewis is with us on Twitter at Todd Lewis GC. Fast forward to one week from today. Give us sort of bullet point style biggest headlines. I mean, I imagine Tiger's on there, Brooks Kepka's on there, Rory's on there. You know, what are those bullet points, biggest storylines to follow as you see it heading into the British Open? Probably the most wide open major championship, maybe the most wide open open we've had in a few decades, okay. mainly because of the golf course. This is the first time that the Open has been played at Royal Port Rush in close to 60 years. Uh, there are a few players that are familiar with that golf course. Graham McDowell grew up playing on that golf course. Darren Clark is from there. But Roy McIlroy, at the age of 16, digest this, at the <laughs> age of 16, shot the course record at Royal Port Rush, which is a 62. Uh, so he knows the golf course. And if you had to lean toward anybody that's a favorite, it might be Roy McIlroy. However, he's playing in his home country. With that comes a lot of pressure yeah. because he's carrying the country on his shoulders. Um, Outside of that, there aren't too many favorites to pick because the golf course is new, as I mentioned. The weather is often a factor. I will say I would give a little bit of a sneaky edge like he needs it to world number, the world number one Brooks Kepka. Brooks has never seen the golf course. However, his caddy is named Ricky Elliott. He grew up at Port Rush. Mm. He was a great friend. Actually, was considered back in, amateurs, uh, in the amateur days a better player than Graham McDowell because they grew up in the same area. Wow. Nearly became a professional. He knows the golf course like the back of his hand. And so all he's got to do for the world's number one player again is say, point, shoot here, <laughs> and there you go. So I'm interested to see how it all will play out. But I'm anticipating some player that maybe is not quite as known on the world stage um, as others. He's good, that, that one or two, two players are going to pop out and probably be in the mix come Sunday afternoon as well. Those are awesome tidbits a week from the British Open, <laughs> over-delivering as usual, Todd Lewis of the Golf Channel. Last thing for you, one of the great moments of every summer for me as a transplanted Philadelphia guy, we have a family vacation at the beach. I invite the family to join me at Citizens Bank Park where the Phillies play. Uh, I grew up a Phillies fan and a baseball player, and I saw on your Twitter feed that you managed to squeeze in a Major League Baseball game, if I remember correctly, right? It was just, a, what, a few days ago, a Minnesota Twins game? How did it go? Yeah, well, I had a great week coming to 3M Open. Not, you mentioned it was the most uh, – for me, you take the names out of the mix. I know there was no Tiger there or Rory or you know, so on, but when you had a player at the 3M Open on the 72nd hole with Bryson Chambeau, eagle the hole to take the lead on Sunday – 
and then the guy behind him, Eagles own the win it. Right. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, take away from that, the three people did a great job in that inaugural PGA Tour event. Um, I, I had to play golf three times last week. I played at Hazeltine, Interlock, and uh, <laughs> those places have hosted major championships. But a buddy of mine is a, a member of the Seth Rader course called Minnesota Valley Country Club. I played nine holes at Twilight and got a hole in one. Wow. So, I mean, it, and then – then I went to a Minnesota Twins game, uh, sat second row behind the plate, which I've never done, and I had my friends taking pictures of me, sending them back to me, and say, hey, watch the game, get off your phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, which, I, you know, I guess I am kind of a sneaky millennial. Uh, but, yeah, it was a great week, a really nice time in Minnesota. That's a heck of a week now. I mean, the- yeah. theoretically, we're supposed to like Todd Lewis less after hearing about I, that I kind of week, right? I agree. I do have an incredible job. I'm very fortunate. I do have a responsibility ability to the viewers to make sure they're informed. But, you know, once the light goes off, I try to have some fun in, in a city, especially one that I haven't visited on the PGA Tour kit. Maybe I'm just better adjusted at this stage of life. I'm not jealous. I'm just happy for you. And I am also thankful, <laughs> as always, for your visits here on the David Glenn Show. Well, think about me when I when it's 51 degrees and it's raining sideways. <laughs> there you go. That's a way to balance it out. That's Todd Lewis of the Golf Channel. They have great coverage of all majors and all minors and everything in between. <laughs> Todd does great work. He is on Twitter, at Todd Lewis GC. Appreciate his time as he heads to the other side of the pond. The other side of the pond is where Wimbledon continues to unfold. I'll have some Wimbledon updates. The greatest tennis players of all time are still alive, and I don't mean in just that heart-beating sense. I mean they're still playing. Serena is in the championship match on the women's side. Nadal and Federer and Djokovic, arguably the three greatest men's tennis players ever, they're all still standing in the Final Four on the men's side. It is one of the highlights of the sports week as we remind you of our questions of the day, and we look forward to Tom Haberstrow of NBC on basketball. Howard Fendrich will join us live from Wimbledon tennis writer for the Associated Press in a little bit more than 60 minutes. The questions of the day are these. If you're a Wolfpack fan, what do you care about with this NCAA investigation that sort of launched with the notice of allegations making things official just yesterday in Raleigh? What do you care about and what do you not care about and what questions do you have about how things will proceed? Mark Gottfried has a level one that is the most serious charge against him. That means it may not be easy for him to keep his job at Cal Northridge unless they're just willing to put the blinders on and take Mark Godfrey's words f- word for everything. Now, Godfrey's gone. Kevin Keats had nothing to do with these shenanigans. He wasn't even in Raleigh when the Wolfpack was buying a player in the form of Dennis Smith Jr., according to a lot of evidence in those FBI cases. So what about the current Wolfpack? Could NCAA sanctions affect these players and coaches moving forward most Wolfpack fans again I know don't care if the one year of Dennis Smith Jr. ends up being you know vacated by NCAA sanctions it happened it wasn't even a good year so most Wolfpack fans are shrugging their shoulders and I totally understand why part b of the what happens to the current coaches and players question is how long is this process likely to take right It just started yesterday. Now, you've been reading about it for years, but it just started from the NCAA's perspective officially yesterday. 
with the delivery of the notice of allegations, showing you what you're accused of. You get to put on a defense, of course. Whoever wants to be a witness can be a witness as things proceed uh, in and put Mark Gottfried in jeopardy, Orlando Early in jeopardy, and really NC State's basketball program in jeopardy. Your questions and comments are welcome there on the other side. And inspired by Josh Norman, earlier this week, he went through the famous running of the Bulls in Pamplona, Spain. He did it himself. He even posted a video of himself. After the traditional running of the Bulls, he went to a bull ring and entertained the fans by leaping over a bull while inside the bull ring. Josh Norman, the former Panthers cornerback, ended up calling the whole experience, quote, one of the greatest days of my lifetime. What first-person experience have you ever had in the sports world that you ended up describing as, quote, one of the greatest days of my lifetime? Does not have to be a running of the Bulls, although if you did that, you can certainly share that story as well. So far at this nine-day festival, five people have been gored by Bulls. Josh Norman's family and agent and team are all happy that so far he is not one of those five. Two great guests later, your phone calls on the other side. A sports gambling update. Did you know that sports gambling keeps getting closer to reality here in the great state of North Carolina? I'll give you those details about the size and scope of such things as eight other American states already have taken the plunge into various forms of sports betting. It's not Nevada anymore. After that Supreme Court case, seven other states are already involved and 30 plus more states including ours are on the cusp or at least in the process of trying to add sports gambling to their menu more of those details with more of your phone calls 1-800-849-2761 next on the david glenn show Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. David Glenn Show, I will answer one more question from a Wolfpack fan on the new NCAA case against the Pac's basketball program that has been launched. All surrounding the Mark Godfrey era, all surrounding the paying for the player, Dennis Smith Jr. of Fayetteville, North Carolina. His family had their pockets filled, and according to FBI evidence, Mark Godfrey and Orlando Early had roles in making that happen. 1-800-849-2761. If you want in on the Josh Norman question of the day, he called his experience at the running of the Bulls in Pamplona, Spain this week, quote, one of the greatest days of my lifetime. If you have a first-person, you-participated example of something in the sports world that you ended up calling one of the greatest days of my lifetime, it can be the running of the Bulls. It can be something else. Share your story today at 1-800-849-2761. That is your ticket into the program. I will give you the update on sports gambling in North Carolina. How is it getting closer and closer to reality here on North Carolina soil? Whereas most of you who have heard little or nothing about sports gambling coming to North Carolina, here's the short answer. Can you imagine how much our show and others and your favorite TV stations and newspapers and websites, can you imagine if we were truly at the fork in the road, we're either joining Nevada 
which has had sports gambling, of course, for a long time. And now seven other states are underway. I was just in New Jersey. They are one of the early success stories in making lots of forms of sports gambling available. Now, again, that it's legal, it's no longer that near monopoly that Nevada had until that Supreme Court decision. New Jersey is making a lot of money with a successful launch of sports gambling. If we were really at that fork in the road, you'd have your politicians on every TV screen. You would have rallies, pro or con, what gambling does to poison our society or the other side of the equation. Why let other states profit from something that we all know huge numbers of people are interested in? Why let all our neighbors profit and just twiddle our thumbs and ignore sports gambling while some entire states are getting their chunks of that significant financial pie. You all know how that debate would unfold. I'm not 100% sure how it would end in our state if it went all that far into the full-scale debate. How is it getting closer to reality, yet we barely hear much about it? Well, here's two reasons. One, it is a narrow, limited scale, what is being debated right now for sports gambling in North Carolina. There is a tribal lands of the it's called the eastern band of cherokee these are tribal lands in the state of north carolina which of course already have gambling you might not even know that but there are tiny places carved out in our state where you can gamble in some of the same ways that you would think of as a trip to vegas and you could live here a long time and not even know that they're available in part because they're, in the, so, they're tucked away so far in the southwest corner of our state. Seriously, you're almost in Georgia in one case, and you're almost in Tennessee in the other case. It would take a six-hour drive from the Triangle to get to one of the two places that I'm talking about. One is Murphy, North Carolina. That's near the Tennessee and the Georgia borders. One is Little Cherokee, North Carolina, which is not far from Tennessee. Again... Murphy is about a four-hour drive just from Charlotte. And some of us think of Charlotte as, I don't know, central western part of the state. There's a lot of space to the west of Charlotte. And Murphy and Cherokee are two of the smaller places in that part of our statewide audience. Our friends at ESPN Asheville, not crazy, crazy far from there. They have gambling, and now they're on the cusp of getting sports gambling. Because it is only this narrow, limited scale, and you're not going to see in Raleigh, Fayetteville, Greenville, Greensboro, can you imagine if we were on the cusp of seeing sports gambling outlets the way if you've ever traveled to England? Like, you can't go more than a handful of blocks without seeing a place to bet over there. You even see it at sports venues in some contexts around the world. If we were on the cusp of that, you wouldn't just see a little headline about how Little Cherokee and Little Murphy and the Eastern Band of Cherokee are going to take basically the next step. They already have gambling. Now they're going to get try to get a chunk of this sports gambling pie. Early estimates is that our state's bottom line, because of the narrow scope here, again, eight other states have it full-fledged sports gambling already. 30-plus more are contemplating full-fledged sports gambling and even have legislation in process. In our state, the projections are a bottom line of $1 to $2 million per year in revenue. Now, I know, like, 
we'd all love to have a million dollars, but in the context of a state budget, that's not a lot of money, and that's why you're not hearing as much about it. A bill has already passed the North Carolina Senate to make this happen. There's been a voice vote of yes in the House. They're expected to say yes in the House formally soon, and then it would go to Governor Cooper's desk to be approved or vetoed or whatever. It is coming to North Carolina, it looks like, but that's why it's not a bigger story, and you probably haven't heard much about it. We as a state are essentially dipping our toes into these waters barely as eight other states including Nevada, have already basically jumped in all the way into the deep end. 1-800-849-2761. The Wolfpack question that I promised to answer, and then your phone calls, 1-800-849-2761. Could NCAA sanctions affect the Wolfpack moving forward, even though current coaches and players had absolutely positively nothing to do with the whole Dennis Smith Jr. scandal. That's on Mark Gottfried and Orlando early to whatever degree the NCAA determines that as this case proceeds again after yesterday's official notice of allegations was received by NCSU. The answer, could the sanctions complicate the current coaches and players, is yes, it could happen. NCAA penalties, of course, are either backward-looking or forward-looking. Backward-looking would be, Louisville, you have to take your championship banner down. That's a big deal. Dennis Smith Jr.'s one season with the pack, of course, was a bad season. No Wolfpack fan I know cares if that year is vacated. But that's only a penalty looking backward. The NCAA is not in the habit of exclusively giving backward-looking penalties when more serious rules are violated. Remember the big three questions I encourage you to ask yourself Again, you're delusional if you think nothing is going to happen. You're delusional if you think just because you hired the UNC law firm, they're going to work a miracle as the Wolfpack lawyers up, just as some saw it as a miracle when the Tar Heels lawyered up after the AFAM scandal. Who's the bad actor? It's not a nameless, faceless booster in Alaska. It's your head coach and your assistant coach. The NCAA tends to punish that more harshly. What rule was violated? Was it phone calls or something small? You know, bagels with cream cheese? Or was it a big rule, like not paying players? Big rule equals felony type stuff. Small rule equals misdemeanor. With small rule violations, you get nothing most of the time. With big rule violations, they tend to want to make it hurt. And they know it doesn't hurt as much. You might be embarrassed or not to vacate a season, but that's backward looking. It doesn't hurt as much. The NCAA knows it doesn't hurt as much. How extreme was the violation? It wasn't $1,000. It wasn't the $80 parking ticket that Dennis Smith Jr. got while a prospect that has the NCAA's eyeballs rolling up in the back of their head. That kind of stuff happens. There are minor, if any, penalties for an $80 parking pass or a booster paying for a meal or whatever can happen accidentally because you can't have all eyes everywhere as a compliance department 24 hours a day. There's too many fans and boosters out there. Heck, there's too many athletes. You don't have monitors to follow them around all day, every day. Stuff happens. The NCAA accepts that. But when the bad actor is a high-ranking person on your payroll, Godfrey and Early, when the rule is a big one, not a little one, and when the violation is not just money but tens of thousands of dollars with the assistance, according to the FBI, of both Godfrey and Early, again, the evidence in the Wolfpack's case does not point that same finger at Godfrey that it points at 
early, Godfrey is charged with a failure to monitor. That doesn't sound like, you know, the, the worst thing in the world, but it is the highest level, the most serious charge the NCAA can put on somebody. The Orlando early charge, of course, is one of those two level one charges. The Mark Godfrey failure to monitor charge is the other one. So, yes, sanctions could be forward-looking. I personally would be surprised if the Wolfpack's only penalty is backward-looking. He'll vacate that year. When the answers to those three questions are as damning as they appear to be here with all that FBI evidence, I think there's likely to be something else. Now, probation is forward-looking, but most fans shrug their shoulders at that. I mean, all right, well, let's not do something wrong again. You do something wrong while on probation, they tend to hit you with with something closer to a, a sledgehammer, right? The timetable, and maybe you care about this, maybe you don't, but the way the rules work, state now has 90 days to file a response. So just think of that as roughly three months. The NCAA then gets 60 days to respond to that response. Think of that as another two months. At that point, you have to schedule a hearing with one of these committees. All right, when are you available? When am I available? When that's committee? When is that committee member available? That typically takes a month or two or sometimes even longer. And then the decision after the case is heard tends to take two to three months. Well, guess what? I just added up to anywhere from eight months to 12 months. It's July 2019. So it's not like they're, they're going to at next year's ACC tournament drop a decision, a verdict on the Wolfpack as Kevin Keats in the current pack, again, none of them affiliated in any way with the wrongdoing. They're not going to drop a verdict at the ACC tournament next March. It's more likely to be the 9, 10, 11, 12-month timetable, which means at some point in the offseason next year, NC State would find its verdict something closer to the sledgehammer or something closer to the slap on the wrist. That, of course, is harder to predict, but I don't think it's going to be exclusively vacating that season because of the seriousness of the allegations and the high-ranking nature of the bad actors, Mark Gottfried and Orlando Early. 1-800-849-2761. Phone calls on the other side. Tom Haberstroh on basketball in 20 minutes. Howard Fendrich of the Associated Press joins us live from the All England Club in Wimbledon, London. Serena, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, maybe the four greatest tennis players ever on their respective sides of the gender bracket. They're all still alive to win the singles Grand Slam title at Wimbledon as we speak. Howard Fendrich and Tom Haberstroh next hour. Your phone calls on the other side, 1-800-849-2761. Josh Norman just had one of the greatest days of his lifetime by running with the Bulls in Pamplona, Spain. You have a story like that? Today's the day to share it, 1-800-849-2761 on The David Glenn Show. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Also, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Ty and Sanford wants in on the Wolfpack stuff. Gary and Wilson wants in on the question of the day. Josh Norman's running of the Bulls in in Pamplona, Spain. He even went into a bull ring and entertained spectators by leaping over a bull 
posted it on his social media account. There is video that you can probably find. Josh called it, the former Panthers cornerback did, one of the greatest days of my lifetime. If you have a first-person experience, doesn't have to be Pamplona, Spain, and the famous running of the Bulls. If you have anything that measures up to one of the greatest days of my lifetime, share that story at 1-800-849-2761. That is your ticket into the program. Let's go to Ty and Sanford on the Wolfpack. Tom Haberstroh joins in 15 minutes on basketball. Howard Fendrich of the Associated Press joins us live from Wimbledon, which I think has given us some of the most compelling content of the sports week with Serena and Nadal and Federer and Djokovic all still alive. One quick Twitter answer. If you think the Wolfpack is going to get off the hook by saying the coaches kept the wrongdoing away from the higher-ups, like they were being secretive while they were breaking NCAA rules, you have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, I, I don't want to sound obnoxious. I've just been at this for 32 years. I have had to tell people so many times, you are completely clueless about how this stuff works. I mean, go back to the Joe Paterno Penn State case, the Nevin Shapiro Miami case, the UNC AFAM case. A thousand other times somebody's told me that the death penalty was coming for somebody. If you can find an example where I led you astray, then I would understand why you would doubt me. I'm 32 years into this. I practiced law for 17 years. I have gotten every one of these cases right. And I am not suggesting to you. I am telling you beyond any shadow of an earthly doubt the they were keeping the rule-breaking secretive does not impress the NCAA. Now, is it a better scenario than if the higher-ups did know? Of course it's a better scenario. The SMU death penalty came down the pike many, many years ago, back when I was a kid. The only real death penalty example that we have in major college athletics is when the wrongdoing got so bad that coaches were doing it, assistant coaches were doing it, boosters were doing it, and it got to the point where university administrators, including the board of trustees, were actively engaged in the wrongdoing. Imagine that. So by that standard, is the Wolfpack's case a much better one? Of course it is. You didn't have, there was no athletic director involvement. There was no board of trustees or university president or chancellor involvement. Of course, these facts are way better than those facts. And that's why, the, of course, there's no death penalty in play for the Wolfpack. However, the idea that because Gottfried and Early were being, most people who break rules are hiding it from everybody else. And the NCAA has never, they, I'll put it this way, they are happy that your AD and higher-ranking people had no idea, according to the evidence, and I believe that. There's no way Debbie Yao is getting into this stuff or Randy Woodson. Come on. That is good because it prevents the worst-case scenario like the SMU case. But when it's your head basketball coach and a chief assistant, I mean, come on. The, the we-were-being-secretive defense does not just cause the NCAA to shrug its shoulders, wave its arms, and say, oh, okay, oh, they're being secretive while breaking one of some of the most important rules in the history of college sports. Don't buy players. Oh, they're being secretive? Oh, it's all good then. No, come on. I mean, <laughs> I've been told that listing the things where I do not have expertise, which would take a long time, would make for bad sports radio programming. 
You don't want to hear me go on for five minutes about what I'm, I can't help you fix your car's engine. And there's a hundred other things I can't keep help you with. This is in my wheelhouse, folks. And it's just laughable that you're trying to tell me that because your coaches were secretive while breaking rules, you know, you're going to be fine. Come on. Like, again, show me where I've been wrong at any point in 32 years on NCAA compliance issues, and then you'd have a right to be skeptical. I had to tell people calling for UNC's death penalty that they were out of their mind and had no idea what they were talking about. Now, who call up their tweets. Please do. And you'll know who's a blithering idiot who wants to sound like an expert and has no clue. And you'll know who knows exactly what they're talking about and does not lead you astray. It's really that simple. You don't even have to like my delivery. Facts are facts. Expertise is expertise. Hiding your wrongdoing does not get you off the hook. Most wrongdoers hide what they're doing from their superiors. Ty and Sanford, you're next on The David Glenn Show. Well, DG, I can vouch at least for the last 10 years I've been listening to you since I moved down here, and I know you haven't led me astray when it comes to this stuff yet. I mean, and there's probably something in your world, Ty. I would say, Ty, you're, an, you're a better expert on this than I am. I would like to follow your lead. Like, I'm not saying I'm sounding kind of genius. This is what I do for a living. It's part of my background, right? I'm supposed to be able to lead you in the right direction. I just laugh. I would never try to claim expertise where I don't have it. And I'm shocked by the people who angrily will tell you they know what they're talking about when I have the expertise to know that they're completely out of their bat bleep mind and are just trying to build a following while having no idea what they're talking about. You asked about recruiting, yeah, right? So, so, yeah, so my question was uh, I follow the Patriots pretty closely, and a couple of years ago they had the deflate gate thing. Yeah. And it actually almost kind of favored them that those decisions got drawn out for so long. Tom Brady got to make some contractual changes. Yeah. They got prepared for his being missing for four games. But in this case, I wonder and get your opinion on if the water gets drawn out and not knowing what the penalty may or may not be, if yeah. that could be long-term hurt their recruiting. The long story short would be, yes, black clouds that hover hurt recruiting, period. Ask UNC's coaches in any sport. Remember, they got no sanctions to a person including Roy Williams and Larry Fedora, they'll tell you that their recruiting was complicated because opposing coaches were saying, hey, the Tar Heels might get the death penalty. They got nothing, but they still had to answer those questions. This will be shorter, a lot shorter for states, so it's a concern, but I don't think it's nearly as big an issue as it was in Chapel Hill. We're back after this. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Former Golden State Warriors player Nick Young just claimed that his coach, Steve Kerr, rolls the best blunts in the NBA. We'll talk other basketball, too, with Tom Haverstrow of NBC next on The David Glenn Show. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is The David Glenn Show.